such a bitch. I told my friends. My goodness. I told Dad. My I told darn. Carl. She was I told bad. everyone over at Ditko Italian oh sausages. Unbelievable. And they all jump. know. Listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth, and we got a hot wire, hot wire on the phone. But before we get to that, we want to point, we want to thank Robert Polay and the folks at Polay Clark. That's right, Polay Clark. If you are now dealing with your PPP or any of these payroll protection plans and SBA loans and all that sort of stuff, get some help. Polay Clark, they're there to help you. Financial yes. advising. You also want to shift your money with an eye toward the future, more so now than ever. And I also, we are proud members of the Osiris Media platform osiris pod and uh, i would like to point out that uh, the global health crisis we're facing right now has threatened the livelihood and mental health of countless of musicians and people employed in the music industry backline is the music industry's mental health and wellness resource hub and their work is more vital right now than ever before launched just last year Backline aims to give artists crew and their families quick and easy access to mental health and wellness resources Backline is currently hosting virtual support groups as well as yoga, meditation, and breathwork sessions. And Osiris is proud to partner with with Backline, and we are proud to partner with Osiris. So much, so proud to be on this team, more so now than ever. So to donate and learn more about Backline or to get in touch for your own personal care, please visit Backline Care. That's right, Backline.care. Backline.care. Thank you, Seth. You're welcome. Speaking of backline, we've got a supporter of backline on the line. Yes, we do. We have the uh, the basis of Doom Flamingo and Humphreys McGee and chief heckler of Wine Not Webcast, Mr. Ryan Felix. Stay sick. Live wire, hot wire, more of a lukewarm wire I am. How are you enjoying being at home all the time, Ryan? Two kids. Two kids. Um, in all honesty, um, there's a lot of sanity left. There's a lot of um, patience left. The wick is growing shorter, but it's still here. So the silver lining I found out was um, last year there was a lot going on that became stressful. A um, uh, moving, um, a new baby, finances, and a home renovation. And I didn't realize how much I was gone. And now this was a, a nice awakening, especially with my my youngest daughter, Mickey, turning two during quarantine, and my oldest daughter, uh, being six and a half, what a fun and and uh, creative age to be with them home. 
Um, homeschooling's a little difficult to follow the actual curriculum, but the fine arts curriculum is mm-hmm. ticking mad ass. And how are you explaining to them what's going on in the world right now? Well, my two-year-old, I don't explain it at all. She's just living um, innocent and, and happily and free. Uh, my six-year-old, I'm, we're having pretty much adult conversations, and, and we're teaching her how to be smart and why we can't hang out with um, with some of our older relatives or family. And um, she's she's pretty smart. She gets it. So we're just doing everything that's safe. We go out for bike rides or in safe social distancing. We stay home and we we try to do as much um, schoolwork that we can without going insane. And at any point that we go insane, we do something that's a little more creative and fun. She just had a drum lesson today and learned "We Will Rock You" by Queen. So that was that was really fun. Are you giving uh, lessons as well through the uh, uh, Brownies yes. program? Yeah, how's yeah, that? Yeah, live lesson masters. That's got to be a whole new uh, level. Extreme, of... It's extremely, extremely positive. Um, I think that um, while I'm here with my wife and children um, all hours of the day, you forget that a lot of people um, live alone, and a lot of those people go see live music all the time. So not only am I doing lessons during the day, but I'm doing a hangout, or a, I think they call them chill sessions, where basically... Um, it's been just as positive for me, man. We just, we just talk, we hang out. It's not always base or, or geeking out on Humphreys. It's just, um, it's just being friends and seeing another face. Uh, you know, when you go to a show, you meet people, you might meet them at the bar, you might meet them in the bathroom, you might meet them on the rail. Um, but you make friends face to face. And I think when that's taken away from a lot of people, this is a, a really cool outlet and it's supporting musicians. And um, I mean, I don't have a job right now, so it's really nice that people are, are showing support and that I can um, be positive of, as well. Are you in touch with the other band members at all, other than webcasts? How, how active Absolutely. contact? Absolutely. I talk, I talk to every one of them, um, not every day, but a, a couple times a week. And then all of the kids have uh, Zoom dance parties. Oh, sweet. Where uh, somebody's a D. De- we just put the the phone or the iPad up, and then everybody's kind of looking at themselves dancing on the TV. So we do that. The crew, uh, we have some band and crew Zooms. Zoom's been very popular. We've been doing that for a lot of groups just to get back together. My college friends who all have kids, we, we get on a like a once every two weeks. I guess we've only done it once. It's been two weeks. <laughs> but um, there's been a lot of uh, connecting and hanging out through uh, virtual hangs. It's kind of fun. I did that with my kid, too, uh, yesterday, uh, Saturday during Jesse's dance party. And uh, the kids just have so much fun with it. It's it's really great. Now, Humphreys is constantly... Yeah, I mean... I, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, it, it's pretty funny. The first time we did it with Humphreys, it ended up with all the dads shirtless drinking tequila. It was like, dad's gone wild. It was pretty, <laughs> uh, it was pretty, it was pretty comical. Like, pushing pushed the kids normal. out of the way so we could dance in front of the <laughs> Very normal for Humphreys, McGee. <laughs> but you guys are constantly coming up with new material. So I imagine when this break happened... There's songs that are almost ready to go, and then there's schemes for other songs. Are you talking about new material, or is that stuff on the back burner for now? No, man, it's it's happening very quickly. There's already songs that are done. There's songs being sent to each other. There's Legos and snippets and riffs being recorded, um, being exchanged. There's discussions of. I mean, it's it's. <clears throat> to be honest, man, I am busier now than I have ever been in my in my life and i thought i was the busiest person in the world last year with being on the road but when they take away schooling and you're not allowed to have people come in as babysitters and you have a two-year-old that is constantly trying to kill herself 
it's it's crazy that your day from 6:30 a.m. until 7:30 at night is tending to the child and then the just your necessities and then you're trying to teach and have um these other outlets and then you know just just be sane that um the days go so quick cuz it's so action packed remember you're talking to Rob who's he doesn't get that too much he uh, constantly is saying to me how do I, what do you mean Seth you can't give me 10 minutes and I'm like dude <laughs> I can't I got my son he he's got he's reading something right now and I'm trying to like yeah you get it but so creativity wise are you feeling more creative now than ever, or is inspired? it inspired? Yeah, yeah, I feel inspired and creative. Uh, one of one of the best things that happened is one of these uh, hang sessions I had. I hung out with a producer friend of mine, and um, we started swapping bass lessons. He's picking up bass, and I'm picking up Ableton and and recording and producing, which is definitely not my strong suit. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to um, get stronger and better at it, so I can do uh, like the Doom Flamingo guys are always home sending. We call them Dumos. Instead of demos, and they're, they're popping out, popping out demos left and right, and I want to be able to contribute. So I'm taking classes basically to learn how to record better. And I'm not talking record for release, but record so I can get it to Jake and I can mm-hmm. get it to the Doom Flamingo guys, and and we can get a lot of uh, my ideas, which I was primarily only giving to them in person or on an iPhone because I was just a dum dum in here. And and now I'm I'm really I'm learning just as much as as I hope I'm teaching, so um, the positivity, the creativeness, the uh, the overall musician talks and hangs have been great. I've talked to the Mo guys, I've talked to the String Cheats guys, um, I've talked to a bunch of fellow bass players. Like we've been in touch, um, and you know that outreach has been you know talking to guys that are going through through similar things, t- live touring musicians who had you know hundreds of thousands of dollars on the on their dockets or bills and 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 now they don't have gigs until we don't know when so it's that uncertainty and then it's it's super important and i think you touched on this in in your opening a lot of people not just musicians but a lot of people suffer from depression or addiction or alcoholism or drug use or or eating just anything and now you're isolated and trapped and and that is so much uh, scarier or difficult to deal with, and this, these support groups and these outreaches are, are so important to be checking in on your on your brothers and sisters to make sure everybody's ha- happy and healthy and sane. You know. Now I had a little bit of an idea because we're in a different time. We're doing things different way, and you've always talked about the Lego process behind how Humphreys writes the songs. And I was wondering if why not let the fans during this break in on that and maybe take one song and maybe each week have a webcast and show how the songs progressed. And then when you guys get back on the road, that song becomes a song that maybe you even created with the fans or something like that. You know what I mean? Is that something the band would ever do either band? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really cool idea, but in all honesty, we are so overwhelmed and busy with just trying to take care of our families in our own lives that, 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 that is going to be another blip in the amount of uh, opportunities and options that are happening. I think it's fantastic. It's just more, is it going to happen? Because we're really pushing uh, the creativity and the sending of new songs with each other as much as we can, as well as being good husbands and, and good fathers right. and good bandmates. It, is, it sounds really cool. I just don't know. I can't tell you right away. Hell, yes, it's going to happen. We're going to do it. I mean, we're always open to being creative and, and involving the fans. I know that uh, there's that Splice app, um, and people can do that in real time live and share share live music and live parts together so i I think that that kind of stuff is already happening am i am i wrong 
Uh, certainly, to some extent, but it, it would be interesting to hear from Humphreys if there ever was the time. And also, there's the Let, Let Creativity Flow podcast on the Osiris Pod that talks about composing from afar and that's hosted by Amar. Might be worth checking out. Any musicians nice. out there? Anybody else? Um, I also wanted, can you, yeah. uh, can you take us to Charleston, South Carolina? How do you feel your local leaders have been and how, how much do you feel your neighbors, uh, either immediate or otherwise, are observing social distancing? Um, well, I live on the island over here in, in, in Charleston, and there is a gate check. If you have to leave to get the essentials, whether it's to see um, family or, or get groceries or exercise, those are the only reasons people are leaving their homes. And you have to have a valid ID even to get back on the island or get home. Uh, they closed down all the beaches, so people aren't even – even though it seemed safe with social distancing because there weren't that many people on the beaches to begin with. I think people are being very smart and following the rules. Um, I can't watch too much news because it starts to depress me and, and, and get a little repetitive. So I, I get the highlights and I, and, I, and I try to practice what is smart and what is safe and, and teach my children that. From what I've seen, um, everybody seems very healthy and uh, you know, there's definitely cabin fever. A lot of people riding bikes, a lot of people running. But um, definitely not large groups getting together or doing anything that would seem like it could hurt this pandemic. So I feel like our, our leaders here at Charleston and, and the hospitals, from what I've heard from the people in the hospitals, and I could be wrong, um, it seems like we're, we're on the, you know, the safer side and, the, and, and doing what we can. Have you been to the grocery store yourself? I have been to the grocery store by myself, and there were not a lot of people in that. It was just to get... Uh, we didn't have uh, the essentials, you know, and especially with the child. Now, most of the time I try and order it online. Right. So I'm trying to avoid that, especially now. And that was in the first week. That was like two weeks ago. Well, we appreciate the quick check and we don't want to take away, as you just said, you're real busy. But um, I did get to sit down with you and Kevin Castles in Asheville, North Carolina recently. That's the uh, inspiration behind this episode. First of all, can you talk about Kevin? You, you've gotten to know Kevin pretty well and he's kind of been a big catalyst to you re-experiencing some of your own early material, has he not? Uh, yeah, Kevin Castles is single-handedly the greatest metal drummer ever to walk this earth. And he's probably the least knowledgeable person I know when it comes to talking about Humphreys McGee. And <laughs> well, I mean, I, he, he doesn't keep up with the newer stuff, which frustrates me a little bit. And I, because when you, when you ask him, old school, man. Yeah. Well, when, when, when you try to encourage a band to play their old stuff, I think it helps when you're coming from the context of appreciating what they're doing now as well. It's not like, I don't like what you're doing now. I just want you to go back into the old. It's like, gee, I'd kind of like to hear some of this stuff. With, Get off my lawn. With the benefit of the technology you have now is more the attitude, right? Is that, is that what he's saying? He doesn't enjoy the new stuff? Do I need to have a phone call after this? I just don't think he keeps up. I think he's just fascinated <laughs> by the older stuff. I don't know. I, Rob's, I, Rob, you're well, really I, trying I, to start something here, Rob. No, because he does like it when oh. it's presented to him. It's not that he doesn't like it. He just doesn't no, keep, keep up. No, in all honesty, I, I talk to Kevin quite regularly, and we, and we text quite often as well. He, I, I think he does keep up with, uh, with a lot of the newer stuff, but being an old school and also being a guy – who dedicates all of his hikes, walks of following a band's career from show one <laughs> uh, in chronological order. You know, the guy, the guy definitely has uh, put his time in and, and I've enjoyed hearing what he has to say from Humphreys McGee from 1998 to 2004. Wow, yeah. So he's listened to every show in order hmm. of all of those. Wow. 
And I know he's done this with a few other bands. I know he did the entire Disco Biscuits repertoire too. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I talk to him and he'll send me links to some of our shows. He's like, listen, man, Mira was on fire here. What's that? And then I'll recall with him. I'll be like, oh, this is actually, um, this happened. So and so, and this might have sparked why Mira's playing with this type of passion. Or, oh, I remember this, this tour. This is when we did it. So, you know, and then we talk about why some of our older songs, um, whether they were written by Jake's band, Alibaba Tahini, and how the arrangements and, and styles changed when they became part of Umphreys. And then when Umphreys moved to Chicago, we had so much material that we just threw on a plate, like a big fat steak. And then we said, you know what? I'm not a big fan of some of the gristle. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to cut off some of the fat and trim it and give me that, that lean filet center cut. So we did a, we did a lot of that over the years, and I think some of that uh, Kevin is curious to why, because being an old school guy, he he probably thought some of the shit was good, and we thought it was poop, you know. So I'm sure there's a lot of that going on. And Mike Miro, who is your was your original drummer, very close friend of yours, uh, sadly passed away. Yeah, I'll do it. Go ahead. I'm going to do a shot for Miro right here. Okay, as you as you as you do All that right. shot for Miro. Can you first of all, the one time I got to hang out with him was with you at Bonnaroo and Waffle, and we did the comedy tent. That's the only time I hung out with him. the guy. Was freaking hilarious. He was funnier than most of the comedians we saw that day. Yeah, Mike is a character, and when it comes to um, stand-up comedians or people that you know that are just funny, uh, he definitely had it. He had that talent. He could be, he could be the guy in a room who could just kill, who could make everybody laugh, and then and if he didn't he didn't give a fuck because he just owned it. And, and, and I admired that so much. I love when, when someone just stays true to their own comedy, their own funny, even if it bombs. Can you think of a song where his knowledge of rhythm uh, directly impacted the composition of the song? Yeah. I mean, Kimball from the first time that, that Joel wrote Kimball, Joel was living with uh, Mikey at the time. And I used to go over there um, Joel's piano was a Kimball piano and uh, he penned Kimball and then Kim Kimball completely changed from this soft piano ballad and turned into um, who's the drummer from Dave Matthews, um, Carter Broford. Yeah. Carter Broford. Yes. Okay. So Muro was a huge fan uh, of him and I, and I feel like that style and um, um, the police drummer, uh, sorry, Stuart, Stuart my Copeland. brain is, Stuart, Stuart Copeland. So I think he, he started applying um, some serious rock and, and, and jazz or, or pop uh, drumming to some of those compositions and really turned them into more, more driving songs than just uh, what they would be if they were instrumental. All right, so we'll leave you with this. If you could just send a message of hope to your own fan base, what you hope for the future, how things maybe will be different, and, and uh you know, how you're thinking of them and then just throw to the interview. You know, the interview we, we did it at uh, Asheville throw to yourself. Yeah. Throw it to yourself. Uh, and thanks for, thanks for sitting down with Rob. Um, sorry, I wasn't able to be there, but uh, next time. Next yeah. Time. I think if, for an old, Absolutely. old school Humphreys talk, it may be better for, for Seth not to be there, but he'll be there the next time. And yeah, well, yeah, when we do be great. more puns <laughs> next time, I promise. Oh God. I love punk rock. You know that. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I, I think, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty positive person, you know, and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful. It's not, it's not how soon, I mean, or how, or how long it's, it's, it's when, because we're definitely going to get back. And I, and I'm sure many musicians and, and many people have said this, whether it be about sports, but I'm going to talk about music, music specifically, man, that first show 
no matter who your band is or no matter what band you're able to see that first night or when it's your first night to see a band's first show back, the amount of energy maybe in that first song, but through those, that, that whole show is going to be such a powerful experience of like, listen, we did it. We got through this and, and now we get to do all of this again. And maybe we don't take it for granted. I'm not sure. I, I, I think people need to be smart. People need to stay uh, very positive, create, don't hate. Um, we're going to get through it. And then when it comes back, man, put on a seatbelt and a helmet because we are going to rage. And I think that's going to be inspiring um, to all other musicians. And then not, and, and if for some reason the first shows are festival plays for people, then it's going to be even, even more insane because that energy is going to be channeling through every band and every musician and every person in that crowd. And, uh, and everybody knows that there's no Super Bowl and there's no World Series. Everybody's a winner in the music. So I, I feel excited for everybody to become a champion. That's why you should open with the sickest glory ever when you come back. Just a nutty, crazy uh, glory. All right. That's so, that's so funny you said that. I, I was driving today. I was driving. And in the car, I was being a dork. And I said, oh, my God, I'm going to write a Humphrey's set list and send it to the band just for fun. And my opening song was Glory. <laughs> and my closing... My closing encore was um, forty six and two into running on empty, and uh, that was it. You know, uh, a double cover, a double cover uh, encore. Right. Uh, maybe I'll get back to that and write a. Maybe I'll do that later tonight and uh, post it or something. Uh, yeah. No. Hold on a second. I love that idea. Like, I would love to see just like every couple nights a set list come out from you guys. Like, hey, if we were playing tonight, this, this is, is what, what we do. <laughs> yeah. Hey, before you throw, I All also right, maybe. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say maybe I'll maybe I'll text Joel and that'll be uh, one of our uh, duo tweets. But I want to point out like that he'll write a set list and I'll write a set list and then people can argue and fight over go. who's is better. Can you get <laughs> can you get put on set list probation during a hiatus? I don't know. Um, but what I, I wanted to point out another thing: a lot of you're one of the bands. A lot of bands are rescheduling, are offering rescheduled dates now, and that's because of the nature yeah. of the booking. I think people make it clear to people that if those shows can't happen, they're not going to happen. It's not they're, they're it's not like yeah, you're forcing not- them down people's throats. Can you explain that? Well, that's. Do I need to explain that? That's common well, sense. Some, Obviously, no one's going to do anything. Some people, you no know. No one's going to do any. Because some people well, I mean, reacted I negatively. I can't, I can't fix stupid, man. I mean, <laughs> we're obviously going to follow the rules, and we're going to do what is good for the, the entire the entire world. And when things are safe, and it's been proven that it's safe, and, and everybody's doing it, and we know, well, then, yeah, we're going to get back to being normal. I mean, we have a business to run, and, and, and people need music, and people want to see music. And, and uh, when, it's, when it's safe for everybody and it's, and it's right, um, I think you're going to see that with everything, with, uh, with, with sports, with music. And I think we're going to learn a lot, too. We're going to learn, hopefully, we're going to learn a lot about the environment. And we're going to change some things. We're going to learn a lot about um, just dealing with people. We're going to learn a lot about if you're sick. Don't go out in public and cough and be around a bunch of people just in general. Be, be, uh, be kind to your neighbor no matter what. Be smart. I saw, so there's a lot, of, a lot of learning to do from this. And um, I just know that the music is going to be insane when we get back. All right, man. Well, Andy, if you, if you would be so kind to throw to the interview. All right. Let's, let's go check out Kevin Castles, Rob Turner, and Ryan Stasek talking old school umph. <laughs> Thank you. 
up your eyes, don't even close them for a moment. You could step in line and simply fall down by the wayside. Look into yourself and find your own, then breathe your own breath. Life is much too short to always follow, never leading. If only I are in a side room here at the Asheville Civic Center. What do they call it now? U.S. Cellular Arena? Your Normo Dome? I think it's Harris Casino now. We have Chris Mitchell from Flying Eye Productions uh, spin the knobs for us. And I'm sitting with music and Umphreys McGee expert Kevin Castles and the basis of Doom Flamingo and Umphreys McGee, Mr. Ryan Stasek. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Rob Turner. Always great to be with you. And we're going to do a deep dive into early, early Umphreys. And I think that really starts with uh, Tashi Station, which Ryan was in with Brennan Bayless, correct? This is, uh, these are facts. So far, if anybody's fact-checking, we're, we're on point. Yeah, if anybody's watching and fact-checking fact on the fly. Um, what were the how many originals, what percentage of originals was that band doing? Toshi Station, I, uh, well, we have to back it up a little bit because the, Brendan lived in Keenan Hall, and that was the only dorm that had, a, that had musical gear and a rehearsal space that we were allowed to use to rehearse. This is at Notre Dame. This is at Notre Dame. And I lived in Alumni Hall across campus. So I would go over there with my other bands, Driftwood, that I was in before, and I think Brendan came downstairs and would pick up a guitar and jam with us, and that's kind of how we started playing together. I saw him playing at Acoustic Cafe, a banjo with his long hair and patchwork singing The Rainbow Connection. <laughs> that was my first discovery Missed of long Mr. Hair. Brendan Hayes Bayless. <laughs> but then we started playing together, and we had a, um, uh, a similar like for weed and music. So we started hanging out. And then Tashi Station was just a trio before Greg joined us. And we were playing... Mainly covers, you know, like Jimi Hendrix, um, just, you know, Grateful Dead, some Fish, um, the fun stuff, simpler songs that we both knew. But then the composition started coming out um, when we were living together, and I stayed for the summers. I'd go to summer school and then work there in the summer and get some credits. And, and we would, uh, All in Time was one of the first ones we were together, August. Hajimamashte, I think, was the first one. And it used to have 15 unnecessary parts. And then we kept the meat of it and turned it into the song that it is now. And then I remember Brendan penned Divisions by himself. That was, that was one of his tunes where he's like, hey, I got a, 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 real, a real good one here. Um, talking, you know, when we were in college and losing his high school friend. Or not losing, but everybody going different places. And that's when the, the, a lot of the writing and just hanging out and playing all the time. And we would play as many gigs as we could for a $3 cover for basically drinks. And just to get out there and improvise and, and play. You know, I think we always ended with Run Like an Antelope every night. <laughs> and some of our fans come in, they'd be like, hey, man, you should learn some other songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were talking last night, Rob. We were trying to nail down, you know, what may be the earliest song that made it into the Humphreys repertoire as an Sounds original. Sounds like all in time. No, the first song written was Hajimamashte. 
And, yeah. and if you take the root of the Japanese word haji, it, it, it means in the beginning, if you're going to do like a Latin root or something. But it's, it's, it's nice to meet you. So it's, it's good. It's a greeting. It's like the beginning. This was our this was our greeting, and and I used to say random Japanese phrases that I was learning because I was I majored in Japanese, and then he would translate them. It was very much more of a comedy bit than it was an actual <laughs> performance in the in the Zappa realm. You know. And now you have people flying from Japan to see your shows. We do. So it makes at least sense. one. Yeah. At least one. And then you could have left it at people. Yeah. <laughs> Person. And then across the way we had Mike Miro and Joel Cummins with. Stomper Bob. And yeah. where did that time-wise, how did that relate to Tashi Says? Was that going on at the same time? Yes. I um, mean, I knew eventually they were, but as far as who started. Well, Bayless is a, is a year older than me. Um, Joel's like 90 years older than me. So he yeah, was, he's up there. Yeah, man. he was in the seniors Saw program. Saw him backstage drinking a glass of formaldehyde. Yeah. <laughs> he's always telling me about the day Kennedy died and how it affected him. <laughs> and Mira was a year younger. So it was all happening in the 96, 97. Um, Joel was selling out Places that uh, you could get in with freshman IDs. Is that the Rising Bird IDs. tour? Um, they opened with uh, Beast of Burden every night. Crushing. <laughs> Crushing. And uh, I remember we'd pop into their shows and be like, bam, man, line out the door, girls. It was cool. And you guys wanted to be in a band together, right? Like you start, Who? Uh, you and Bayless and, and Joel and Mike, right? Towards the end. Yeah, yeah once remembers? we had met and started, we started playing together. I think Joel actually had a, a, a concert. Um, in his eighth year at Notre Dame, he did a, a concert, had some improv, had guests, and then some improvisation. And that was the first time Tashi Station showed up to the gig, and Brendan and I went up there and played. And Steve and Greg both kind of knew. They're like, okay, this is probably going to go somewhere. Because we wanted to make improvisational and original music instead of just being a cover band. And then it kind of clicked with Mikey and Joel, and then we started putting in the time. Um, Brendan and I lived across the street from each other. Mikey and Joel lived together. So we would just have band practice, and that's all we did. We eat, slept, you know, making music. Stayed there in the summers, worked. So that first jam, you could feel that something was happening? It might have been the cheap beer, but, yeah, I think there was <laughs> definitely a feeling there for sure. I actually have the tapes. It's late 97. There's a, there's a few of them in December where we recorded on, on cassette tapes and just jammed every song we knew, blues, you know, in, in free form. There's probably a lot of garbage in there, but it was fun. Learning the on the spot. The, yeah, the energy play, was yeah. there, just really comfortable with each other, a chemistry. Nothing was awkward. Like when you have those awkward moments, with, with there was nothing awkward. Everybody was super friendly, like brothers right away. But what about when a song like Haji has, like you said, extra parts to it that you don't think belong? It doesn't get awkward when you're like, hey, why don't we just dial it back and take this part out? And well, take when it. you're in the beginning, you're so hungry and excited. And we were, we were only 19 years old, so we weren't mature songwriters in any way. We just Everybody had an idea, and everybody was still open to ideas. And let's make it fit and make it work. And we, and we assumed that it was good. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people will go back and, and listen to it and we'll be like, dude, that's shit. And they're like, no, it's the original. It's the way it's supposed to be. It's great. And it's like, no, there's like 15 minutes of shit in there. Kind of like you and I have talked about August, the yeah, original studio example. version on the yeah. first album. You used the term trim the fat when you mm -hmm. took out that middle part, which and is, if I there's may a add, lot of in there. Jimmy Rogers, not just for all um, facts, has written a great essay on August and how it evolved. You, you actually you put it away for a while, right? Like six months. I don't know. Oh, you didn't even realize that? No. And then you brought back a shortened version. And he yeah, well, on. I mean, that's what happened with Haji Mamashte, and that's also what happened with August. We trimmed a lot of the fat because there were, there were like little parts that were just exercises and things that we brought in. I don't even know if some of them were, all of them were completely original. They might have been, but they might have been things that we had just borrowed, and, and we we're like, you know what, that's not, that's not going to work. And in the end, for us, we amicably decided that if we trim the fat, 
it seemed to be a better song and then have open sections where we could really explore, which is what it is today.
So is there a recording anywhere of the original Haji with all the oh, yeah. multi multiple Yeah, parts? I have uh, I have cassette tapes of uh, the first time we went and recorded uh, all of that stuff. I've got all that stuff on cassette. Wow. So as you're introducing Andy first, is coming in the band. Is he sitting in first? Yeah, Andy, I didn't know Andy. Andy was was uh, was hometown friends with Muro. Right. He was at IU studying art. They went to high school together, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he would come up and sit in with Stomper Bob, and like just sleep on Muro's couch and <laughs> hang out. And Stomper He's like Bob, the dead guy. Yeah. <laughs> was <silent> Miro. <laughs> Miro and Joel's band, right? Yeah, and Stomper Bob. And then when we made the switch, um, when we became Umphreys McGee, we were actually Fat Tony first. When we were that um, Miro. It was just the four of us, and then during that year, or those two years, Fair just kept coming up and hanging out and hanging out, and we are like, you know, you're here. Why don't you, he dropped out of school. Why don't you participate? And he's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i join the band. Because him and Miro had such a great repertoire, or uh, chemistry too, as being a drummer and a, and known each other forever and, and uh, complimenting each other. And then we were a f- we were five-piece then, and then Jake, we had seen around town, and, and, I mean, I was always the drunk dude in the corner with my head up against the speaker with my jaw on the floor being like, does anybody realize Van Halen is in the fucking That's building what, right That was now? me Are at my first show. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And I was blown away. And, and then I remember um, I told Brendan when we were moving, I'm like, listen, you need to get Jake in this band. This is the sixth piece. That This is it. This is, what we're, this, this is how we're going to make it. Like, this guy needs to be making music with us. And he was in Alibaba's. He was in Alibaba's. With Carl. Mm-hmm. Carl leaves Alibaba's while you guys are on tour, right? Mm-hmm. And it, was, it wasn't until you got back that you realized that they had started up with Khalil. So Yeah, but there were other things going on with Jake, too. Like, he had left the country band and come back, and then he didn't know... He had some question marks in his path with his life. And so, so it added up to, like, the timing of when Brendan said, hey, come join us. The door's open if you want. And... and Luckily, it was one of those opportunities when he, he was like, yeah, I might give this a shot. And then we never really looked back. Was that smooth, though? Was there some... Super smooth. The guy's pro. At first, he came in, and we'd play some of his songs, and he knew some of ours. So it was kind of like, a okay, you'll play part of the sets, what you're comfortable with. And then we slowly turned into, you don't need to leave. We're all drunk. We're all jamming. We're all having fun. You're already a brother. And then it just transitioned into, uh, and, and, at and, first and this he, is it. At first, he would only come out for a few songs, Right. right? And right. Slowly. Well, you know, you're the them. expert. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> People like hearing it from you, though, right? Yeah. Well, I don't, you have to jog my memory. This I, is this is 20 plus years ago. So his so. first show was September 1st of 2000. The earliest show that I've heard with him is September 30th, and uh, yeah, every few songs, Brendan will just be like, "Do you guys mind if Jake comes out and plays with us?" And he was yeah. very reserved. Yeah. And Obviously. this is Mickey's He's trying to feel his theater, way. and State this is theater. all. Yeah. We're, we were still playing in South Bend every weekend or week. Because you guys had a good run there at the State Theater. You'd bring horns in sometimes and yeah. you know, throughout 00 and 01. I didn't even realize until Kevin told me last night that Ringo and Malchais are ABT, but post Carl ABT. Yeah. If you listen, actually, you should out there go listen to the original Ringo version with Khalil. Um, it's nothing like, I mean, it's not like the Umphreys version at all. It's super, it's out there. It's cool. It's really cool stuff going on. I remember when I went back, I think it was because of you, Kevin, and then I dug in and I listened to the version. I was like, oh, wow. Look how they used to do this here before it became an Umphreys tune. A crack of a whip and a star in your eye. Summer's trip on the 4th of July I 
Living off soul and the food of Guru A trickle down process, six pack of bloom So if your wish could be granted What would you say? To live in peace forever and a day The dark days of summer mirages kick in Shinbop with fantasy bin. So what would it take To tickle your mouth A troubled and tried Ramble inside So if your wish could be granted What would you say To live in peace forever And a day
from those guys that, that made it in. Uh, I know that was Orfeo. Am I saying that uh, okay. right? No, I, I, and I could be wrong, too. We might have to check with Joel. I don't think Orfeo was being played with Stomper Bob. That was from, a Mike and Joel thing. Yes. Right, from, okay. from what I remember, um, the original stuff wasn't as well supported by the rest of the band. And I think that's part of the reason why they wanted to break up. Was Vibe one of their songs? Vibe was one of Joel's songs, and times. he was playing that. Yeah. yeah. So they, no, I, I'm sorry. They had a record. I mean, they had original songs. Right. They had a CD. Yeah. 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 Not just for breakfast anymore. But I don't think the, they were writing together as much. And I think the the way Joel was was uh, was moving forward as far as being a songwriter that um, it just was phasing out that band. Right. They came in. But Vibe and Orfeo for sure. I don't remember if we played any other one. Nachos for two, which has been has been retired. Um, that Rob chagrin. More of a group composition there. I just think yeah. it would sound neat with the technology that they have now. It's funny with uh, Brendan and Joel; they're normal, chill, easygoing guys. But when you bring up resurrecting some of these old songs, slowly they turn. Yeah. You know, and with uh, the skin with Andy, just real quick on that. You know, he he started sitting in and like. Like the second month you guys were together, he would sit in, and I've always been trying to nail down his first show as a member because it's not listed on the on the website. And from my research, I think that you can count October tenth, ninety eight, at the Madison Oyster Bar, okay, as his first like official show. Um, Does that affect your songwriting when you get a quality percussionist and you know you can you have these flavorings? And obviously with plunger with the castanets, but even before that, does it get your mind going? Hey, we could do this. We could do that. We should leave space here. We should leave space there. Yeah, I mean, for certain compositions, absolutely. Like we have a, a song that's centered around drums called Raymond, and then um, Great American, um, and other tunes where um, Andy and Chris are working things out. If if there's space and thought for, for for sure. But as far as riff writing and everything else, I don't know how much we're cognizant of that. So you were excited, I would assume, when Jake came with all this wealth of material. I mean, were you guys yeah, planning, I mean, like, plundering the, the vault Jake there? Once Jake said or? he was in, I was like, here we go. Let's did you do guys this. start picking through songs that you wanted to do, or did Jake... Because I know when I started listening to the Fall 2000, he would bring in instrumentals. Like, I think Space Funk Booty may have been the may have been the first, and Professor Wormbog. Nothing too fancy. Nothing too fancy. And I think the first one he sang, I think, was 40s theme. 
Yeah. Um, but they started appearing, and then in 2001, they were just there was just a flood of these songs. Did you guys go through the songs that you liked from them, or did Jake pretty much? No, say? Jake was Jake was bringing what he was comfortable with. I mean, in, 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 if those of you don't know this, you could go over to Jake's and there's a catalog of 2,000 tunes that yeah. you've never heard. Yeah. And right. then, so there's there's never the hey let's go through this. I've I've done that a couple. Well, the song Nether. You yeah. know, we're like, I demanded when we got into the studio that we were going to record this. You know, could you demand it, that it gets played live? I, I, we're going to change the name to Never. <laughs> I, we've been trying, man. Trust me, we're trying. We've got we've got uh, Brendan on a seven string too, so we're really hoping that um, it gets debuted at least rehearsed this weekend. Tonight is the first night to rehearse it. Nice. But um, I mean, it's my favorite song off of that record, so I don't know why it's. Maybe we're just really waiting for that special yeah, moment. Yeah, special. But anyway, back to what I was saying. Like Jake has a catalog, and, and I mean, Brendan does too. But Jake has just, he's been four-track recording since he was a teenager. And he can play all the instruments. So he's got full compositions. And it's fun to go back and dig through some of those and say, hey, this A section right here is, is money. It's got a hook. Let's bring that and use that. So we do do that when, before we go into a studio or before we get together for some songwriting. But you make it seem like it's such an easy decision. The more I l learn from people like Kevin and and uh, um facts, uh, that the f the five piece was just really starting to hit its stride at that point too, yeah. though. Yeah, so but, but but Jake was he he it felt the double guitar attack felt right, you know, and the the way that he could sing and the harmony and just the way we all got along. And it just seemed it seemed like hey, this is another brother who needs to join our family. Right. In that part, there was there was no doubt. Um, that it, it it was considered that it wouldn't happen. It was like, no, this this should happen. Now, was everyone in the band on board at first? Because yes. Bayless had said at some point that Miro maybe at first was a little resistant. I don't think Jake Miro was resistant at all about that. I think Miro in the later years, you can hear that his um, his love, his priority for loving the drums became a little less for his love for composition and right, piano right. and and, and which uh, just grew and grew. steel pan yeah. uh, you know other things and and the marimba solo marimba, right which is fine when he was going through the thing and i think that they might have butted heads um the guitar players and and, and miro back then over little things over like that but there i don't i don't think there was any resistance at all it was all open arms the five was being like now we're a six-headed beast let's do this I remember Jake did say publicly a couple of times that one of the reasons he wanted to join the band, one of the main reasons was because of Mike, Yeah, you know, being in the band. And uh, Rob, we were going to talk about Mike Miro and his contributions to the early sound and how important he was absolutely to just the overall feeling and vibe and spirit of that band. And um, Ryan, if you want to tell us a little bit about that and how, how crucial he really was on the foundation of the music that you guys still play to this day. Yeah. Um, above all, you know, he was my best friend. He was such a character, such a likable dude, you know, funny, smart, um, and a super talented musician. And I remember Joel and I used to come back to their house and he had his drum set set up in the middle of the room and we'd be on these lazy boy recliners, smoke a joint and just lay back and be like, play Mikey and just let him rip. <laughs> and we would listen to live drums in the middle of the room for like a half hour. Just soloing and grooving and playing and and um, he, he you know his his character too was confident and boisterous and loud so he wasn't he was the opposite you know it wasn't like Andy where he was very quiet and subdued you know they were a good yin yang of that but right. his voice was heard and he was he was always comical about it or you know he was always cracking people up but he was definitely an alpha and a leader and involved in all of that and his presence was very much. Um, 
made it made the grooving and the jamming special, you know. And he knew how to improvise too. He was never afraid to take chances, and uh, it was just good times. You know, felt right. When he told you he was leaving, you guys were still went out for two more months. Oh yeah. And some people say that the shows are particularly explosive. Then, do you have any memory of those shows in particular? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was the Steelers were playing the Colts, <laughs> Shreveport, Louisiana. And I was watching, and that's when he, when he said, hey, guys, I have some life decision stuff to talk to you about. When I think we won 28 to 10, because Kevin was there, and he's a Colts fan, I remember. And then, so I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, he's telling us he wants to quit the band. And I remember going back to my hotel room and looking out over a, I think it was a Shoney's. Or some it's funny how you remember when moments oh, it like is that super happen. Detailed. Every I remember the thing. bed, and I got laid yeah. in this shitty hotel room in the middle of the bed, and I just thought, and I said... What are we going to do? And it hit me for, it felt like a lifetime. It might have been just a few minutes. And I might have even cried just in the video. Like, I, I think that we've worked so hard and I, it's, it's, it's over. There's like that finality part there for just a short period of time that felt forever. But then there was, you know what? Don't think about this, how it just affects you. This is something I'm still working on in my life in general. It's just don't always make it about yourself, you right. know, and try to understand walking in his shoes and his other part and what he's doing and why he's doing it. And once I was able to accept that and support him for that, I knew we were going to be okay. Empathy's huge. And how hard it was for him to come to that. Absolutely. Who knows how long he was thinking about it. And, Dude, you know. absolutely. A hundred percent. And then and then be able to support him instead of turning your back on him. Now, some of those gigs, especially when you're young and you're doing – Drinking a lot, alcohol gets involved. I mean, there was one in Dallas. We finished maybe did Elm, Elm, Deep Elm. We were playing in, in Dallas, and he, something happened in the show, and we got super emotional, and I lost it. Like, I had to, I had to leave right after, and just, like, crying, just, like, upset. I'm like, I can't believe this is over. We still hadn't auditioned people yet. We didn't know what the direction was, but it was one of Miro's last, like, four shows. And Kevin and I always had Sony hand cams, so we were filming things and getting all this stuff and documenting it. Right. Thank God for that, by the way. And then, right. I mean, then I remember at the end, we ended up talking and hugging it out, and his last show was in St. Louis, and I, I recorded. We left the stage and let him do a drum solo, and I recorded the whole thing on my Sony Handycam, which was cool. And then uh, that, it was just emotional, you know? And then when, when we were going into New Year's, and Chris was coming, and I've got the two of them, like, at the drum set, Maybe it was a Park West even when, like when they had met when Chris was going to be part of the band. And, and Mike was very welcoming and opening. Very welcoming. Very brotherly, too. And he's like, hey, you know, he could tell that they were handing off the torch. Right. And this is what Mike wanted. Right. And this was introducing Chris. And it was, it was cool. It wasn't, I, I can only speak for myself, it wasn't jaded. It wasn't angry or anything like that. It was just a transition. And right. we knew we were going to be okay, you know. And then the New Year's, obviously with bands, you have fights and things happen and and uh, some shit went down that night, the last night, but it ended on a good note. The third set, his final set. Dude, he's crushing. Just you sent me the link, and I went back and yeah, listened to it. It he is was tremendous. A he's a monster. Yeah. You know? And may he rest in peace, dude. He was a one of a kind, Mr. Miro. Yeah, rest in peace. Yeah. yeah, and I wanted to also bring up a little bit. We were talking about how, you know, when a member joins or leaves, it, it kind of changes everything. Before Jake joined back in 2000, these shows that I've listened to from the summer of 2000 – you guys are just a, a machine, the, the five-man lineup. Mm -hmm. You guys had put out songs like Second Self and Prowler at that time and a couple of shows at Benchwarmers in June and July, which is just a peak 
of this of this lineup, the lineup that recorded the first live album, which was Songs for Older Women. Which great, has great title. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> I love it. You're welcome. Yes. You know, DBK and Two by Two and all those all those great songs. But then when Jake you named joined, albums better than you named the band. Oh, absolutely, weird. absolutely. But when Jake joined, you could definitely feel like a, a halt to the momentum and a rebuilding. Do you do you have any rec, uh, recollections of that last period with the five man lineup as being really strong and going places? And I I, I can't recall. Um, I feel like all of it has been a transition, and momentum is going to have peaks and valleys, no matter you know no matter what. Um, I've not done this deep dive uh, from the beginning to the end. It's interesting to go back because I do have access to all that stuff, but I don't. I don't remember momentum stopping. I feel like we were also playing like 160 shows a year. Then. Yeah. So you're you're kind of a well-oiled machine, even though you're you're broke and sleeping on van floors and and you're tired and and hungover. But I. But young and I, able to. Yeah, get you back can up handle it. Your body can handle it back then. But I just don't remember any momentum sh- shifts dipping or anything coming right. back but i do re- i know it was a transition just like anything else and and so fortunate that that it fit for jake by the time you got to new year's eve 2000 which i think was at the cubby bear mm-hmm. the the six man lineup was totally gelled i mean it didn't take long from from my years from what i've been listening to and it was just you haven't really looked back since yeah and then the wealth of material that was debuted in 2001 is just off the char- off the charts. Yeah, and you got to remember too. We, the uh, besides Brendan and Jake, who were living with their um, loved ones across the street from here next to Wrigley, the four of us lived in a house with a practice space in the basement, and all we did was write, record, or write and practice, but, and then you know do what normal twenty year olds do in the city. They come back and then write and practice, right? And we were we were playing every day. So you know, practice. You can you can hear it in the in the playing and the songwriting and ideas and riffs and people were expanding on them. You know, it's you, it, it's hard to you take that time for granted when and then you get married and have children. So we could we don't have eight hours a day yeah. to put in that kind of time together. But computer yeah. magic allows you to share it with each other, though. On local man is okay. That nothing too fancy, which ends it. Is there is that improv in there? God, I'd have to go back and listen. I think to it's it. the only improv. Is it a live record? Which no, one? that's the no. Oklahoma one. The first one is okay, and I think it's the only. Humphrey's Improv, that's studio, that I have. Yeah, then it probably is. We recorded that in a barn in Cincinnati. I oh, know really? because I wore a... I wore There's a, pictures of it on the album cover. Oh, okay. popping around I the was barn. listening on Spotify. There's a silo, like, in the background. And you yeah. Guys are Interesting Andy, haircuts. Andy and I didn't shave, or didn't shave, didn't shower for two weeks and just slept in the in the, <laughs> studio, in the sound room. It's like I need a shower. I'm seeing these guys in a barn. Yeah, what was the feeling around that album, which is by far well, your most progressive and yeah, complex Yeah, we were album. listening to a lot of Zappa. We were touring and good friends with Ray's Music Exchange, who were all from the Cincinnati Music School, and their compositions and writing was they blowing us away. insanely good, yeah. Insanely good. Is Mad Dog come from? Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. you know? And we would watch them, and we were like, man, we want to do that. We want to. We were influenced by that, for sure. And that's a lot more of those angular riffs from songs like Andy's Last Beer and uh, Ninja and the Bluten Cotton, those things you started getting um, like uh, just more angular, kind of heavier progressive riffs. Don't always make sense, but sound cool. Get in the van. I'm glad yeah. you mentioned DBK, though, because it's not about just songwriting. The early DBK sound thin. It was like putting the muscle into it. How, can you talk about that process? Yeah, that uh, song went through some versions before it got Major changes. Well, we started writing it, then I went to Japan for a summer, and Joel brought over a cassette tape of it. And then uh, during my uh, 
spring break of Japan when we went and climbed Mount Fuji, but that's another story. Wow. And then uh, he left, and I transcribed the cassette to the, all the bass parts, like when I was when I had time off. So when we came home, we debuted it. Um, and, you know, there's a lot going on in that tune, especially in its debut when we were playing Step and Center at Notre Dame. So that, it's still still growing. It's still evolving. There's a version in the summer of 98, I don't remember the day, where at the end, Brendan goes, that's the first time we played that all the way through. Without, Correctly? Without, yeah. Without having <laughs> right. to stop? Yeah. That was the other thing, too. In the early years, you used to have moments where you would crash and burn, and it was like Apollo and the Russian and Rocky, you know, you're like, throw the towel! <laughs> throw the <laughs> towel! Now, now it, it's much like in life in general, it's about recovery. You don't want to have to ever throw the towel. You just recover. And how quick can you recover? Right. Because the, the mistakes and the shit still happen. But if you can get through them and, and out of them quickly, people forget. Yeah, it's like in real life. How do you react to yes. bad things? Yeah. You know, not necessarily if they happen or not. So, so you want to get into some of the early songs? Like, I know if you had your druthers, Muff 1 would be one you'd, you'd resurrect, correct? I like all the Muffs. I love Muff. Now, Muff is about breakups? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can say that. You could say that. Um, Cheating, a, maybe? It's a sexual. Um, it was originally a trilogy. It was Muff 1 and then Muff 2, The Revenge. Yeah, we we had a kitty cat that we named Muff. Muff Burger Sandwich was our little rescue cat, which is funny because I'm not a cat person at all. But that we, I lived with Brendan and Budney, and they came home with like a baby kitten, which you know, even if you don't yeah. like cats, baby kittens are pretty adorable. Anyway, his name was Muff Burger Sandwich. So we wrote the first one, and then the second one was the Revenge, and then the third one was supposed to be this Latin song that I don't I don't think was ever written. Um, I'll have, to, I'll have to get back with Brennan on this one. See, maybe maybe we'll write it. Speaking we of can Latin, that, yeah. maybe that'll be the reason we can resurrect Muff Burger One. Go. But yeah. again, another song that has unnecessary parts. <laughs> yeah. To trim yeah. The fat. There's a whole. There's yeah. a whole. Th th we yeah. used to run laps during this ascending riff, which is basically one of. It was like a Brendan exercise or something. It's very circusy. And then it modulates up half step all the way, and we used to run laps. Miro used to run laps around the venues while we would play it and then come back and then get back behind the drums. Right. Just there were shenanigans going on Tons in the middle of, of that song. Tons of shenanigans. And speaking of Latin, the song Jose. It's not even a song, but yes. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's just a It's one of those section. DCI videos we got and we, and we learned, um, I think it was Latin, Latin drum beats from Cuba. Yeah. It was on VHS. Right. And I think we just... It was it was those beats that Farrag and, and and Miro used to practice, and then we just put some yeah. chords over it. And you know, I was thinking about what songs would translate today. You know, and we've talked about this. Tenth grade. Tenth grade is the which, one is the only one that I think could be polished. Yes. yes. So, it, it could be a grungier pop right. rock tune, but yeah. don't don't say Bob. No, no, no. Uh, some no. of those are shelved for good reason. And nachos, you don't think even with your new technology, you extend the keyboard part? No. There's, there's really no need. I think okay. his quote was, it's jam band shit, I think was the quote. Okay. I think yeah. <laughs> was that my quote? Yeah. That's what Fish used to say about Destiny Unbound, and I just saw them play it the other day. Yeah. <laughs> um, was the other th side of things also kind of a dated? That's a good you one. feel that's, that's dated? That's a good like, one. I, I think it, we, it was a little more in the generic, let's just do a song in five. And I don't think there was thought behind the... I don't know if it goes anywhere. There's a mo, real Mo sound to that song, too. Well, there's a Mo song that's in 5 and 6, I think, or something that's very similar, like G Mixolydian. And I think that was another reason Probably why we stopped... Probably Seat of My Pants or something. Why like we that. started... Uh, we stopped playing, because it was too similar yeah. to theirs at the time. But um, that one also, I remember, always had a great drum solo. I would look forward to Miro's drum solo on right. the other side of things. Toe Sot, we used to call it. 
And then Miro, of course, did Avenue from the single soundtrack. Yes, which nobody, really? not a yeah. lot of people know. I didn't yeah. know. Yeah, nobody knew what Avenue. that was. Like, they think maybe it's Electric Avenue or something like that. But no. Yeah. And he also used to do uh, Billy past the fifth grade or the first grade for Billy Madison. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Day. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. there was Skip, which was the song where he used to go go to the bathroom or. <laughs> Some stories yeah. about those two. You mentioned, you mentioned Adam Budney, and uh, a lot of folks know he's the original lighting designer of the man. Yeah. But he also was important beyond that. He was a sounding board. He was around you guys at these creative points. Can you talk about his uh, influence and importance to you guys beyond the lighting stuff? Um, I don't know if he was uh, musically influential. <laughs> he was my best bud. He's a good rapper. Uh, yeah, he would rap with us. Um, he'd tell us when things were shit and when they were great, you know. Um, just That's like important. having, ha absolutely. It's like having your best friend around and, and respecting their honest opinion. You know, uh, a lot of shenanigans. There's a lot of shenanigans going on. And Buddy, Buddy and I were probably at the peak of behind the pranks and and doing, pulling some of that shit. Uh, great lighting guy, great friend, still a great dude. As far as the music writing, you know, he it's he it's not like him and Kevin were were always in the room or involved, but I mean. They were part of the family and the unit as we rode down the road, you know. Kevin Browning. Yep. Yep. When we, I'm talking when we first started, before Bob and before, before we had any crew, you know, when we just had a, a green Suburban. Right. We were riding seven deep. And what about your bass playing, Rob? You had, you, we were talking last night about how it's evolved. Garbage. <laughs> it's just garbage. So I remember uh, sending you, know, you it's, one. It's always evolving. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm just always, always trying to get better and... and I like to be influenced and inspired. I just went and saw Krantz, Carlock, and Lefebvre. Tim is one of my favorites. Great dude. And it made me want to bust out the ring modulator. And you're probably going to get some of that tonight because I'm on that ring mod kick. And he's he's so good at it and makes it sound so groovy. And, and uh, you know, when I, I'm not a bass player. I am now. And I can say that I am. But I wasn't. I bought a bass because when I got into the band with Brendan, he played guitar. So I gave him my Les Paul black and gold, of course, in my little PV banded amp, and I went and bought a bass. And I think I bought a four-string Ibanez, and then I traded that in for a five-string, which even back then I didn't know. This shows you how much of a bass player I was not. <laughs> um, I thought it tuned E, A, D, G, B, C. You know, I, thought you, I thought it went up. So all of a sudden, this bass just warps. The neck just like <laughs> breaks, and I bought a bass player magazine, and uh, you're gonna have to help me on this. Rollins Band, who was the bass player? Oh God, I can't remember, but he had a big fat sound. Yeah, uh, I'm spacing his name right now. Anyway, I looked at the tab and it was, oh, that's a low B. So then, you know, and so I went from there and I'm self-taught and, and, and learned to play. I mean, I, I practiced piano and I, and I bought a guitar in high school, but I'm always evolving with bass and learning new things and, and trying to just become more of a, a great listener and, and uh, compliment you know, the people I play with and improvise with. Melvin Gibbs, exactly. Good job, Rob. Yep. And then back in the day, the showcase for your solo spot usually was America the Beautiful. Yeah, I still play that one. It's a beautiful yeah. tune. How did you come yeah. up with the idea to do that? I went through a huge Jocko phase like every bass player does. You yeah. buy the books, you listen, you're, you're blown away by um, the unbelievable talent that this man had, and you start learning. And I would... I would uh, there's a funny story. The guy, the guy, when I lived in the band house, you know, hot summer Chicago, I have the windows cracked, and 
this dude next door came over with a I hate your band t-shirt, giving the finger with a smiley face. He's like, yeah, can you fucking tell Jocko to turn it down? <laughs> and I think I've been trying to learn Portrait uh, of Tracy for like six yeah. hours. Or, or, or one, of, one, of, one of these, well, I was just going through, through right. the, 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 the Jocko book and learning. And I uh, always loved that song. It's, you know, I love the tune. And you guys did love River People a couple yeah. of times. We did it with Joshua Redman, with uh, Jeff Coffin. Yeah. Yeah, if you're ever around Medeski, you should talk to him about Jocko. When, he, when I interviewed him, he talked about when he was at high school in Florida, he would play with Jocko. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that, that just makes me think about the covers that you guys do and did. And, um, Senor Mouse. Well, yeah. Was what was the other just, Return Forever you played for me last night? Well, there was Spain, which was... Very early. Yeah. And it's funny because we didn't do the whole version. Just did it out of Kimball or then, something Well, like well that or, that's when I we first started doing Then we had our, um, our, our good friend uh, Greg, who was actually subbing bass for me in 97 while I was in Japan. And Greg was... Uh, he was playing bass with the guys coming over. He's a jazz guy from South Bend. And he'd come up and... We were playing a, a bar gig, and he's like, you guys want to do Spain? And they're like, yeah, sure, sure. And he gets up, and he does the whole intro the proper way. And right. the rest of the band just starts the middle section. Dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And they're both playing at the same time, and he's just ripping it. And we're like, how, how, where's the recovery? Are they going to yeah. recover? And they, they did recover. But after that, we started playing the whole piece properly, Spain. It was For some reason, I don't know why we didn't learn the intro. Lazy Humphreys. Maybe, maybe. it just, yeah. But the, or it was the just other... a segue. It was more of a tease, I guess, when we were doing it. And well, then you guys you... have always been on top of harmonies, right? He played a Jesus is just, and I'm, some of the early covers can be cringe-inducing. I'm sure you, you know. Well, the reason we did Jesus is just all right. <laughs> no, but that you. was good. The, the harmonies were unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, but there's a story behind that one, too. We were five devils and Joel was a nun for oh, Halloween. That's so true, yeah. He's, he sang that while we were all dressed in times. spandex devil suits. Not really. Wow. We did it more than once? Hmm. I think so. Did you work on harmonies back then? I know you do now. I don't, I've I seen don't you sing. guys do it. So I, I mean, um, but I know. But do they? they should they should? <laughs> I don't know. They definitely. You guys definitely do these days. But but you were mentioning Senior Mouse is the other Return yes. to Forever song they do. We I, would always get them to do it. They're, yeah, we did the Aldi Miola's version is the one they do from Casino, which is exactly. in my opinion the best version. But. Yeah, Al came to a show in New York, and I think we played it. With Bill Coin, right? Is that who he came from with? Kiss's manager, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Seriously? Jake said that he, they were at CBGB's, right? You guys no, were at CBGB's? We were, we, it, well, that's not where he came. It was somewhere okay. else in New York, but he came in after one of his gigs, and, and we played it a and, long time ago. And did he say anything? I think so. I mean, I don't, I don't recall. There's a lot of stuff I don't recall. I remember parts. I bet Brennan was a little nervous watching For sure. that guy. For sure. And then Stanley Jordan, we developed a relationship and got right. to play with, and, you know, well, a fantastic human being. So, yeah, that, that's a good segue into who are some of the best your your favorite guests that you guys have have played with I mean that's like interesting that. you said that cuz one day we were all on the bus and just uh just being bored and making lists and uh was making lists of of you know bass players that have sat in and Victor Wooten yeah. you know Obviously. uh Kai Eckert um Nick Blasky Dan Kurtz uh Felix Pistorius Mike Bendy L- uh, Les Claypool you know just crazy when you start mike. looking at the list and mike gordon when, when you go down the list phil yeah, Lesh. Phil Lesh. yeah sorry i mean Absolutely. there's a, there's a it's a long list you look through you're like holy shit this is awesome you know and you, you get excited kind of get giddy um and then yeah you mentioned kai the the relationship between you guys and garage mahal in the early days well was... interesting enough with bass kai is the only person i've ever taken lessons from really i really? took i took a couple lessons from kai 
Um, and I still, I mean, with kids and everything going on right now, it's, it's hard to find time to have a teacher for me. Luckily, there's a lot of on, online stuff you can do to learn and, and keep up your, your practicing, but it was really difficult. Um, but that period, I can remember the years, um, it helped me tremendously. Just uh, his approach and his discipline and, and just picking up my instrument every day and, and thinking bass. There's some great jams where both bands are on stage together yeah. doing Mondo Garage and Weapons of Mass Destruction. and, and The guitarist like Fareed Hawk, you know yeah. what he's doing now, right? No. He's in Billy Cobham's band, and they're reinventing a lot of the Headhunter stuff. Oh, cool. And they have new material, too, of course. Fantastic. He's Good. doing really well. Yeah, I liked everybody in that band. Eric and uh, Alan Hertz, drums, yeah. Eric Levy. I'm glad you mentioned Victor. He's a particular influence on the band in general, right? He's a, he's a, he's, I think he's a particular influence on the world. Yeah. The man is a saint. He's not really a person. He's almost like a prophet. I mean, he's, he's such a nice guy, and he's so talented, but he's, it's in every aspect. It's not just his playing. Like he's not a, just, everybody knows he's a virtuoso, and, he, and he's, he's, a, he's a impacted the bass world in, in a crazy way. But, I mean, have you read his book? I mean, everything he his nature camp, everything he does as a human being is on such a high saintly level, you know, it's it's really unreal. I mean, O'Teal, there's another yeah, guy who's absolutely. like a, a saint at bass, you right. know, and been honored to share the stage with him and have him play my basses, you know, it's super cool. So we kind of we were saying last night, what do we call the early days of Humphreys? We were saying, like, when they formed in December 97 till 2003, like when Chris is firmly on board. And then with Anchor Drops, the exposure really started to rise. But talk a little bit about that first year with Chris and about um, how quickly or Yeah, could or you just feel the growth was going to come at well, that point? Well, yeah, just like, again, when we're talking with transition, I never felt any, when you asked about Jake earlier or stuff before or Andy, I didn't feel any momentum going down. Um, with Chris, it was interesting to me being a self-taught bass player. I would not played with many drummers. I'd only played with three drummers in my life, you know. And then we moved to... We moved into um, Myers, and I was just blown away by what he could do and what he what he was doing, and and how I would uh, try and mature and and learn to be cohesive with him. And we're still developing that, you know, sixteen years later. He had a lot to learn in a short amount of time. Yeah, crazy <laughs> that he did. We're out you know. of time. Last question. Oh, here it is. You playing line light, line light tonight, or what? An anthem tomorrow. <laughs> um, the requests have been put out. And you were both rejected. Uh, I apologize. Anthem? I apologize. I apologize. Okay. Not sincerely, but I do apologize. Thanks for <laughs> having take me, guys. Apology we Thanks can for get. having me. Thanks for your time. <laughs> Thanks, buddy.
was a lone man, but I could see the use to keep it in my head through all of its abuse. But I'll say stronger this independent son. More than aware now of all the things you come to me when I say, Can you see through all of this? When I come my empty room, when I say now that I can't win to myself, so I can't seem to live like this. From so. another line Now I say stronger this independent song Falling away now of all the things you come to me when I say Can you see through whole of this When I call my empty room When I say now that I come into myself I can't see Live like this From so change their names and I know but I can't seem to remember mine Sitting where I stand 
their name But I can't seem to remember mine I was a lone man, but I could see the use Keep it in my head through all of its abuse Now I say stronger this independent son More than aware now of all the things you come to me When I say, can you see through all of this When I call Okay. Ooh, hello.